0: Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to go to the cross, that you were willing to pay the price that I could have salvation and spend eternity with you. Help us today to never forget the cross and the price that you paid. Well, today we are going to celebrate the most important event in the history of man. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything about Christianity and our salvation depends on the empty tomb. Today we're going to conclude our two-part series called Crowded Cross." Last Sunday, we examined the crowd that assembled at the Lord's crucifixion. Today, we are going to examine the cross. As I have taken a close look at the crucifixion story this past week, reading from all four of the Gospels and the individual writers of these Gospels and their particular focus and insights, pulling from... All four, I have come up with seven things that I want to point out to you about the cross. Now, don't let seven things scare you today. I'm, I'm going to do this in 30 minutes or less. All right, seven things. I want to talk to you today. Seven things about the cross. First of all, it was scheduled. It was scheduled. See, what we need to understand is, and that is that the cross was not man's idea, it was God's. Because of God's foreknowledge, because of Him him being omniscient, which means He is all-knowing, because God knows what will happen even before it happens, because of this, God knew even before He created man that man would betray Him. He knew in advance that man would sin, and and he knew that sin would separate the created from the creator. And he knew before he even created man that man would need a savior. And he knew the price that man's savior would have to pay. And the price tag on man's salvation was the cross. And so God scheduled the cross before He created man. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 through 21 says, God paid a ransom to save you. And it goes on to say the price of the ransom was the blood of His very own Son, Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say that God chose Him as your ransom. And He did this long before the world began. Revelation 13 and 8 says, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, notice, notice, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Here's what I know this morning, and that is, the cross was our Lord's destiny. Jesus knew, He knew, before He came to planet Earth, He knew what His earth, earthly destiny was. Can, can, can you even imagine why, why He would agree to do it. Oh, what love he must have for us. Notice the second thing about the cross, and that is it was scandalous. Yeah, it was scandalous. Everyone knew Jesus was innocent. Everyone knew, oh, that Jesus didn't belong there. If you'll read the story, you'll find that that he was one of three being crucified that day. And what we know about the other two is that the other two were guilty of horrendous crimes, and they both deserved their punishment, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. Luke chapter 23, verses 14 and 15, Pilate said, I have examined this man. I have examined this man, and I have examined your allegations of him. And he said, I find no basis for these charges. He goes on to say, Herod has examined him too, and we find no fault in this man. For Jesus, the cross was scandalous. They crucified an innocent man. Not only was the cross scheduled and scandalous, but also, also it was shocking. It was shocking. The pain and the torture and the suffering that Jesus experienced is absolutely indescribable. From the time of his initial arrest until his his final words on the cross, it is finished. Oh, it was just one continual type of torture after another. From the beating that he took on the whipping post with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes from not just a leather strap, but a leather strap that had jagged edges of metal and bone attached to all nine of its endings. These pieces of metal and these pieces of bone eventually would dig into the flesh of Jesus and literally chunks of his flesh would be pulled out. Every part of his body would feel the effects of the whip including his face and don't forget about the crown of thorns that was placed on his head and then they then they would beat that crown of thorns down into his brow with a heavy stick until the blood began to come pouring down his face and they plucked his beard. Isaiah describes our tortured Lord in Isaiah chapter fifty-two and verse number forty, and uh, verse number fourteen. Isaiah writes and he says, speaking of Jesus, his face was disfigured. Oh, he seemed, he seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, no one could scarcely even know that he was a man. The whipping that he took took such a toll on his body that he didn't even appear like he was even a man. Talking about the cross today, it was, it was shocking. Shocking. The stress and the suffering was unprecedented. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 39 through 44, we see Jesus. We see him before going to the cross. And before going to the cross, first of all, he goes to the garden the garden of Gethsemane. He went there to pray. He went there to prepare himself to face his destiny. He knew what his destiny was. He knew the price he would have to pay on the cross. He knew it and he went and he prayed and he tried to prepare himself for what was coming. And if you read the account you'll find that for three long hours The three perhaps longest hours of his life For three long hours Jesus prayed And he didn't, he didn't pray some little Now I lay me down to sleep prayer he, he didn't pray some little God is good, God is great kind of prayer No, it was a prayer of agony prayer of agony it was a prayer of turmoil it would be the most intense prayer that jesus would ever pray over and over and over jesus prayed and he asked his father he said father isn't there any other way and this Oh Father Surely you could come up with another plan Jesus Became so anxious He agonized To the point Where the Bible says his That blood came out of his pores Just like sweat does The stress And the suffering Perhaps before the cross may have even been greater than during Because it was in the garden and not on the cross Where Jesus sweat drops of blood But oh I'm so thankful today Jesus ended his prayer by saying not my will But your will be done Not only was the cross scheduled and scandalous and shocking, it was a stigma. Galatians 3 and 13 says, Does not the Scripture say, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree? See, there was no greater shame than the cross. Only the worst of the worst were crucified. Oh listen to me listen to me listen to me God spared no expense in the purchase price of our salvation I'm convinced we don't even we don't even have a clue we we don't even have a clue what the actual price was that Jesus paid Notice yet another thing about the cross. It was substitutionary. Although he didn't belong on that cross, you and I did. Jesus took our place. He was our stand-in. You know, when something is too hard or too dangerous or too whatever for an actor... When an actor can't or won't perform some stunt or activity, a stunt double is called in to do the stunt or the activity, to do it for the actor. Well, hear me this morning. Jesus was our stunt double. He stood in for us. He took our place on the cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and 22, he says, he says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, oh, God made him, speaking of Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For us that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. And Isaiah 53 and 6, I am so thankful. I am so grateful for Isaiah 53 and 6, where Isaiah Isaiah writes and he says, God laid on Him, speaking of Jesus, speaking of our substitute, speaking of our Savior, God laid on Him the iniquity of us. Oh we 're talking about the cross. It was substitutionary. See see instead of punishing us for our sins God God placed his very own Son Jesus, on the cross, and then somehow i don 't know how he did it, but somehow miraculously gathered God gathered up every single sin of man, past, present, and future, every single sin that man would ever. Commit. God gathered them up, and God placed all of these sins in a cup, the cup of Gethsemane. And then God dumped this massive cup of sin on His own son, Jesus, on the cross. And then once God... Dumped that cup of sin, the sin of man, upon his son Jesus. Then, then God poured out His wrath. God poured out His wrath for our sin, but He poured out His wrath for our sin on His son. Every vile, vulgar, and vicious sin. Every dastardly, degrading, and disgusting deed. Every perversion known to man was somehow, I don't know, but somehow miraculously gathered up all oh, into that cup, and then God poured that cup out on Jesus, his Son on the cross. There wasn't even one single sin that wasn't poured out on Jesus. Hear me, friends. Jesus didn't just bear the weight of his body on those three rusty spike nails that day. No, no, no. No, he also bore the weight of the sins of the whole world that was dumped upon him. This was the greatest weight of all. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Perhaps you are listening to me today. And you think that you're too great of a sinner to be saved. Oh yeah, God could save others, but he couldn't save me. I'm too great of a sinner for God to save me. Maybe you think that you've committed too many sins. Maybe you think that the sins that you have committed are just, they're just too bad to be forgiven. No. No, 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 not so. Not even possible. Not even possible. Jesus was punished for every single sin that man would ever commit. Not even one single sin was left out of the cup of sin that was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Your sins were in that cup. My sins were in that cup. No, you've not been too evil. No, you've not committed too many sins. No, 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 you've not been too bad to be saved because Jesus took the punishment for that sin. Every single sin well let's look at the sixth thing the gospel writers tell us about the cross that is it was supreme supreme John 15 and 13 Jesus says greater love has no man than this than this what that a man would lay down his life Or his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Friends, the cross was the ultimate expression of love. Greater love has no man than this. When my Kids were really, really little. I loved to take them aside and teach them things. I had a lot of fun with my kids when they were little. Still have fun with them now. But I would teach them things, then I would bring them before people and I'd have them perform. One of the things that I did with my little kids kids when they were little was I would teach them and I would bring them before people and I would ask them this. I would say, how much do you love, Grandma? And they'd stretch their arms out like this. I would say, how much do you love, Grandpa? And they would stretch their arms out like this. I would say, how much do you love, Daddy? And they would do that. And then I would say, how much do you love, Mama? And they would do, I'll never forget when our first grandchild was born. We were keeping Briley, and I came in from work one evening, and as I walked in the door, my wife said, Honey, come into the living room. And I went into the living room, and there was little Briley, just a little bitty tyke. She said, Briley, how much do you love your Grammy? And Briley goes, And my wife said, "Briley, how much do you love your papa?" And she goes, paybacks are tough. The world asked Jesus, the world asked Jesus, Jesus, how much do you love us? And Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross, and he says, I love you this much. I love you this much. Here's what I know about the cross this morning, and that is it was supreme. It was, it was the ultimate expression of love. Well, let's look at one final thing that we know about the cross. And that is it couldn't stand alone. You heard me. The cross. It couldn't stand alone as important and absolutely imperative as the cross was to our salvation hear me hear me hear me equal to the cross was the empty tomb the cross alone can't save anybody i ask you this morning i ask you what good is a dead savior see see the thing that separates christianity from every other religion in the world is the empty tomb and a living Savior. See, see, Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. But Jesus, Jesus is alive. He's alive. Oh, there were over 532 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in Scripture. History itself records the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have personally been to the garden tomb where they laid the body of Jesus after the crucifixion, and guess what? Guess what? It was empty. It was empty. Oh, but best of all, at least, at least for me, best of all, oh, is as the old hymn of the church that we used to sing. The old hymn was entitled He Lives. Oh, and some of the words of that song say, You ask me how I know He lives, He lives within my Hard. Oh, oh, hear me this morning. You might have an argument, but I have an experience. I know Jesus is alive. I know He came back from the dead. I know He lives because He lives in my heart. I know He lives because I talk to Him today. I talk to Him every single day. He walks with me. He talks with me. We have fellowship. We have sweet communion together. Oh, oh, He lives in me. Lives in me. Can't take that away from me what is the significance of the empty tomb you might ask listen it is this and that it is equal it is equal to the cross equal to the cross was the empty tomb pastor do you have scripture for that I just so happen to have some oh 1st Corinthians chapter 15 and 17 verse 17 Paul writes Paul says if Christ has not been raised he says then your faith is useless And he goes on to say If Christ be not raised You are still guilty of your sins What do we know about the cross? We know that it could not stand alone It couldn't stand alone The price for our salvation Includes the life and the death And the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ Equal to the cross was the empty tomb. Oh, I love the very words of Jesus in in Revelation chapter one and verse number eighteen. Jesus said, "I am He who lives and was dead." Did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, "I am He that lives and was dead." Yes, He was dead. Yes, they, they, yes, He died on the cross. Yes, He He breathed His last breath on the cross. Yes, He died on the cross. But oh, Jesus said, "I am He who lives and was dead." But He says, "Behold, I am alive forevermore." And He said, "I have the keys of hell and I have the keys of." Death. He's alive today. Uh, We're celebrating it today, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he died on the cross, but three days later, he came back from the dead, and he's still living today, and he's still alive right now. The takeaway for the message today is this, and I love it. Oh, I love it. Our lives can be full because of an empty tomb. <laughs> Our lives can be full oh, because of an empty tomb. I'm asking you this morning, how is your life? How is your life? Is it empty? Do you feel like you're missing something? Does your life have purpose? Does it have meaning? Do you have any fulfillment? If not, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus that you are missing. It's not... Some other kind or type or of relationship that you're missing. It's not, it's not the promotion that you're wanting that you're missing. It's not a raise. It's not a bigger house. It's not a fancier car. It's not the latest and the greatest gadget or doodad that's out there. That, no, no, there's an emptiness in your heart, and none of these things will ever fill it up. And the only thing that will fill it up is a person named Jesus. He went to the cross and he produced an empty tomb so that our lives could be full. Would you like Jesus to fill that empty space in your heart today? Somebody put it like this. We are born with a God-shaped hole in our heart and nothing can fill that hole except Jesus Christ. Do you have a hole in your heart today? Do you feel like you're missing something? Do you constantly say to yourself, there's got to be more to life than this? Oh, the answer to that is, yeah, there is, there is. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you like Jesus to fill that empty space in your heart today? That happens at salvation. And Jesus comes to fill up that empty void on the inside of our heart. Would you like to be saved today and fill up that emptiness in your life and fill that void in your heart today? I'm going to help you today. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, Grace is freely given unmerited love and favor. Grace is God doing for us. We preached about it all morning. Jesus doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves on the cross. That's God's grace unmerited love and favor, doing for us what we could not do, but it not only takes grace, but by grace are you saved through faith. So we've got to put our faith in God's grace. For our salvation. If you're willing to do that, I want you to pray this prayer with me this morning. There's no magic in this prayer. It's not actually the prayer that saves us, but prayer is the vehicle that we use to put our faith in God's grace, and that is what saves us. So pray this prayer with me. Pray, Dear God. Dear God, there's an emptiness on the inside of me, there's a hole in my heart. I've tried to fill it up with many things, but nothing seems to work. So today, I place my faith for my salvation in your grace, in what Jesus did for me on the cross. Come into my life. Fill up the void And the emptiness in my heart today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that prayer today. I believe the Lord heard you. And I believe that God saved you. Thank God for the life and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.